And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show as we cast an eye back on Champions League match day two. On this match day, we witnessed the biggest upset in Champions League history as Lionel Messi was made to lay on the floor while defending a free kick. <laughs> Real Madrid found out what it's like to get embarrassed by amateurs for the first time since they signed up for the European Super League, and the real sheriff was called to the San Siro to investigate the brutal robbery committed by the other Madrid side. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today is a man who's got a bit more job security than Ronald Koeman right now, Graham Rutherford. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm freelance, and uh, I've heard that that industry is quite precarious, so I'm not sure if that rings true. But I, I, I like the sentiment, Ryan. Ronald Koeman, certainly, his job is not very secure at the moment. I would suggest, Greg, that even the most precarious of freelance arrangements have more job security than Ronald Koeman right now, who may have been relieved of his duties by the time we published this episode. <laughs> yeah, a, a, a Cruyff might be in charge. Just anyone. It doesn't have to be Yordi. Just whichever Cruyff they, they can find um, to make themselves feel better at the camp. Now, he, he might be in charge uh, by the time, as you say, by the time we finish recording this podcast. Graham, on the CBS coverage afterwards, they were discussing this uh, with Thierry Henry in studio, and they kind of sprung it on him. It was like, Thierry, Thierry, do you want to do it? And he was like, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that the TV executives who have just signed him to that uh, analysis contract were maybe not that happy about him being touted for other jobs as well. Yeah, not cool. Not cool, guys. And this, of course, comes on the back of Barcelona getting a 3-0 loss at Benfica um, and a 3-0 loss to Bayern on the first match day as well, looking like they might struggle to qualify out of the group stage, Graham. Troubling times at the camp now. And as we say, Ronald Koeman uh, may not be the manager for much longer who they get in his place we do not know but let's discuss that with a man who's also here bringing the w's like a ronaldo injury time winner joe lowry <laughs> oh that is my role on this podcast i going back to ryan how you uh, how you introed graham there i can think of no better way to prepare for taking over fc barcelona than by doing a mediocre job coaching the then montreal impact sign thierry Henry up he is ready for that job yeah Sure. Good prep, I would say, uh, Joe. You're quite right there. And um, I, I did intro you as saying you're someone who's bringing the W's. I'd like, to suggest, I'd like to suggest that you earn your W's, maybe unlike Manchester United, against Villarreal in their 2-1 home win on match day two, Joe. Oh, man. I, I'm a little sad that Taylor's not here to be moaned Manchester United. I guess we can kind of do that for him. They're... They're in a the spot right now. The result was good. The performance from everything that I've gathered, certainly not so much. Uh, Ryan, I'm, I'm in slight fear for your investment that you put down on Man United winning the Premier League. Uh, I hope it wasn't much. 
It wasn't life-changing amount, Joe. Don't worry about me. I'll be okay. Um, I'm still feeling rather foolish for telling everybody publicly that I did that. But hey, it was a Raphael Varane's going to sign kind of whim. No regrets. No regrets, Joseph. And uh, Ronaldo, by the way, set the record for the latest winning goal in Manchester United Champions League history. The previous record holder, Joe, back from when you were long before you were born, I imagine, Ole Gunnar against Bayern Munich in 1990. Nine And the other thing, Graham, that stood out to me about this game, I don't know if you noticed when Ronaldo was celebrating and his shirt just whipped off as it tends to do whenever he's doing <laughs> anything. Um, his underwear. Did you notice that it has yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo written on it? Like just, you know, like Calvin Klein, but Ronaldo written out all around the band. Wonderful yeah. stuff. He's he's trying to make that a thing that he he badly wants an underwear brand, Pass. Uh, and he 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 wants to he wants to follow in Nicholas Bentner's footsteps uh, mm. by making the the top of his underwear quite iconic but yes you're right his his shirt does seem to come off I don't know I don't know if anyone watched the final season of Scrubs not that weird one where they didn't have uh, Zach Braff and Donald Faison in it but the actual final season of Scrubs where Zach Braff is slightly more ripped in that final season and he just ends up with his shirt off all the time he's doing <laughs> the gardening he has got his shirt off he's driving the car to work he's got his shirt off that's a little bit like Cristiano Ronaldo hmm Feels like it warrants a rewatch, uh, Graham, frankly, by the way you described it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think actually Ronaldo's taking after me, though, because when I was very young, my mum used to write my name in my underwear. So maybe he's just, <laughs> maybe I'm a trailblazer here. Wait, OK. Sorry, I have I have questions. Were you in the habit of losing your underwear that it needed to have your name on it for you to be able to get it back? What? Uh, go explain, Ryan. I have many I questions. I can remember what, going to school, maybe when I was like four years old and I'd have my un- my name written in my underwear, possibly for like PE lessons and stuff. Is that unusual, Joe? I don't know. I've never heard of that or experienced that myself. I've I heard think... of that, Ryan. My mom did that too. <laughs> okay, I don't <laughs> know what happens across the, the pond over there, but uh, maybe that happens here and I just don't know about it. My mom would write like my name on a lunch sack or something like that. At least I can imagine that happening, but underwear is a, a bit of a different one for me. You also used to get, you also used to get like the pre-printed labels yes. that your mum would like sew into your jacket or your clothes as well. Is that, is, is that a thing that they had in the States or is that a British thing? I, I, I don't know, man. I feel like now I'm totally out of my element. The <laughs> underwear is throwing me off. The jackets are throwing me off. We need to pose this question to Twitter, guys. I guess we do. I guess we do. I had those exact same labels, by the way, Graham. That's what I was referring to that was sewed in. I, I never took my underwear off at school as far as I can remember, but they were still uh, labeled in case of that eventuality, I suppose. <laughs> anyway, let's move on swiftly from that conversation. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> Champions League match day two. Uh, let's cleanse our palates with the Champions League here. I've got to say, gents, I am really, really enjoying this competition so far this season. We've had two match days. We've had some crazy results, some really entertaining games a couple of teams in peril certainly Barcelona as we've discussed it's almost Graham like the Super League is a bad idea given the (laughs) platform we have right now yeah not a good week for the the Super League for Florentino Perez and Andrea Agnelli Yes, uh, we had young boys beating Manchester United in the, in the in the first round of fixtures. We had Club Bruges holding PSG to a draw. And of course, we had Sheriff Tiraspol going to the Bernabeu. This is a team who played their previous match before they went to the Bernabeu in front of just over a thousand fans in the Moldovan uh, Domestic League. They went then went to the home of Europe's most successful club and beat them. You wouldn't get that in the Super League, Florentino. No, you certainly wouldn't. 
Uh, Joe, your thoughts on this competition so far this season? I feel like I'm always a bit grumpy about the group stage and you know, it only really gets going in the knockout stages and so on. But um, I, I've proved my own grumpiness wrong, I suppose, this season. Well, a lot of times I think you're right, Ryan, and you're right to be grumpy. It it just doesn't apply this time around. It has been bonkers over the first two match days. We've gotten some good matchups already. Some of the results have been insane. The narratives are there. Like, you don't even have to dig for them. They're just there like they often are in the knockout rounds. I'm all aboard this year's Champions League group stage. It has been so much fun. Well, let's get into it. Match day two, starting off with Group A. Joe, another loss for Jesse Marsh's IB Leipzig, a 2-1 loss at home to Club Bruges. Leipzig bottom of Group A with zero points. Uh, Bruges are second with four points. But PSG, they top the group. Uh, and City, Manchester City in third. After the first game we're going to discuss on the show today, PSG 2, Man City nil. The battle of the Petrodollar projects. Plenty of soft power on here, but nothing soft about either performance, arguably. Uh, Idrissa Gay kicking off the scoring here. And then... A young man called Lionel Messi, I think he's been around for a little while, getting his 121st Champions League goal, which is insane. Uh, before we get to it, Graham, kit watch, what do we think here? City saw that white with the almost petrol, oily... Um, Iridescent, I think is the term. Oh, thank you, thank you. It's I, I like that effect. Do you like it? Yeah, I, I do like, I quite like that kit and I quite like their track jackets as well. Um, PSG came out, I saw Andrew Dash describe them, they came out looking like a roller derby team or it also reminded me of uh, the Purple Cobras from Dodgeball when uh, White Goodman comes out and they do the kind of cobra dance coming out as kind of like a shiny, I guess it's supposed to be, Joe, you're the basketball fan here, I guess it's supposed to be kind of like uh, quite an old school basketball jacket, like an American sports jacket, yeah, yeah. Um, which is like a tie-in with the, the Air Jordan stuff, of course, but I, I don't know, I like, I like the shirts more than I like the track jackets. <laughs> I don't like the shirts, the PSG shirts. I think it's one of their worst in years. Is that a, is that a hot take, Graham? I think they're they're sanitizing it, aren't they? They want mm. to make it kind of just all blue rather than the trademark PSG kind of red stripe down the middle. Um, and also the badge that now just basically says Paris on it, and all their merchandise said Par- says Paris on it. So I don't know whether that's uh, better for sales. But yeah, you're right. I, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a great kit, and they don't have anything crazy like the the, the pink tie dye shirt that they had last year, which I I spent some money on. You certainly did, Graham, and uh, zero regrets for that because that was a quality away shirt. But let's uh, move from shirts to the performances. Joe, Man City played a really good game here. I felt they didn't really deserve a (laughs) 2-0 loss here, particularly the first half. They felt they were quite unlucky to lose. They had 18 shots to PSG 6, seven on target to PSG's three. Had that lovely high press that they had last weekend as well. They're pinning PSG back, forcing them to defend in numbers. They did everything here, basically, but score Joe yeah and soccer is a funny game that way sometimes because City were the better team for me by a pretty wide margin it sounds like Ryan that there's a lot of different numbers that you can pull out to support that not necessarily deep dive stats but I mean if you watch this game I think it was pretty clear that overall City were the better team the press you mentioned that Ryan I love that I love that you brought that out because from the start of this one and it was very similar to the weekend that we saw against Chelsea the press was on and they were pressing very very well and it's not easy to press PSG in general it's really not easy to press PSG when they've got Marco Verratti as the six and they're 
4-3-3. He's so press resistant and he can get on the ball and glide past you. And, and Verratti was fun to watch in this game. And Pep talked about that sort of after the game. But City still pressed and they were very good with that pressure. And then they do go down early and they keep up the pressure. They keep up the possession. And it looks like they're going to get back in this game. They were finding pockets outside of PSG's midfield three, where PSG's front three, which was Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe, uh, Mbappe on, on uh, up top and then Neymar on the left and Messi on the right. City were finding the gaps that were left by those three players not tracking back. And, and they really didn't track back, especially Messi on that right side. There were plenty of opportunities for City to overload those those wide areas or in the half spaces, which is where they really love to operate anyway. They were getting into those spaces. De Bruyne was finding opportunities to to work in those gaps. Bernardo Silva and Riyad Mahrez were finding those gaps as well. It felt like all the stars were aligning for them to to get back in this game after going down in the first 10 minutes. And then Messi's first real Messi moment with PSG happened and, and what City wanted to happen just really didn't at that point. So what, Joe, in your opinion, were the differences here from the Chelsea when we had a slightly different front line? Was it Foden who started up top against Chelsea? I think it was. So a slightly different personnel here. But was yeah. it? Is it just the nature of the opposition that made the difference here? Was it, oh, do we have to have a conversation about them not having a proper striker at this point? Uh, I mean, if we didn't have that conversation against Chelsea, I don't really think we should have it here either. It was a right. different player up top. It was Raheem Sterling in for Phil Foden as the nine. It was Riyad Mahrez in for Gabriel Jesus on the right. I didn't feel like it was a lack of chance creation that really hurt City. It was that last finishing touch. But that happens, right? That happens for even the best strikers in the world. A lot of those players can outperform their XG over a certain period of time. Like Messi, Messi does that stuff, even though he's not a number nine. Robert Lewandowski does that kind of stuff. But these games happen. They happen for Real Madrid against Tiraspol. I mean, they happen in, in competitions like this. They happen all the time. It, it was a moment. Th- this game was a game of individual moments in terms of how PSG actually got the leg up. I don't know that if, if Pep could go back and change things, he would change much about his game plan or about his approach. I thought they worked really, really hard and they played very well. It was Nessie Magic putting the ball in the back of the net in a really beautiful way that kind of sent this game over the line. Joe, can I can I um kind of disagree slightly with with you Please, on kind yeah. of the the the, the centre forward point? I totally understand what you're saying, and I, and I think City would they really do, shouldn't be going into the market for a centre forward who doesn't work with their system. Actually, watching this match, I was I was uh, drifting off trying to think who they could sign as a as a short term option, and thinking of like the most fun signing they could make, like Alexandra <laughs> Mitrovic on loan or Kiefer Moore from Cardiff City or someone just stupid like that. I'm not suggesting they go and get someone like that I was just saying it would be quite funny but I do think you know the number of chances their xg I think is is ends up being 1.9 in this in this game compared to 0.46 for for PSG and I just think if you could find a center forward who fits into the system who does the off the ball stuff but who also just takes that opportunity when it comes along a little bit like Lukaku has for Chelsea I just can't see how that wouldn't improve them as a team and they maybe come out of this game if not with three points, they come away with probably a point out of this out of this game because they just take one of those chances. So I totally understand what you're saying. I just I don't know how sustainable this situation is for City in the long term, and I'll be really surprised if by this time next year they haven't found an out and out centre forward to kind of fill that void. Grant, does that striker exist, and is his name Erling, and was he born in Leeds? <laughs> Possibly, yes. It feels like the stars might be aligning for Mr. Hallen to to end up at the Etihad, which um, has has felt kind of like his destiny for a while. Obviously, his his dad played there, and he's been pictured in Manchester City shirts and so on. But I also think Pep Guardiola. Um, 
really likes Harry Kane and feels, I mean, I'm stating the obvious there given what happened over the summer, but feels like he could perform the role of being more than just a penalty box poacher. So as I say, I just, I feel like 12 months from now, City will have a, a player like that. I don't think they're going to be like this forever. Kane over Haaland still seems like a madness to me, frankly. But um, that, I suppose that's a conversation for another day. Um, Graham, on the, on the CBS coverage, we had Guillaume Balaguer talking at half time of this game. Uh, was quite down on PSG, saying they weren't playing the way they would like to. And he was very impressed with City, rightfully so. As I say, they, they did have a very good first half. But I, I thought that um, he was maybe a bit too down on PSG because they were, they obviously got the 2 0 win, but. Just looking across the board in this team now, it felt like they've got a really strong spine. There's not really any weak links. There certainly weren't any weak links, I thought, on display in this game. And they've got so much um, so much depth now with the Cardi and Draxler mm-hmm. not even being used in this game. Wijnaldum coming on, or who was, was it? Danilo who came on as well. They just seem like in all areas right now. They've got they had that really combative midfield with Gay, Verratti, and Herrera. Really. Who are pretty well suited to Man City here? Uh, Kimbembe Marquinhos. Marquinhos had a superb game. So did Verratti in front of him as well. Uh, you know, Hakimi. Hakimi basically kept Jack Grealish in his back pocket the whole game. Um, no one had a bad game for PSG, surely. Yeah, I think the confusing thing, and maybe the thing that is is clouding judgment of this team at the moment, is Mauricio Pochettino as a manager is renowned for the system over the individuals and the system is is a little bit strange at the moment it doesn't seem to really be there at all it's a little bit Solskjaer-esque in that what's what's their style of play what's their approach but you're right you look through the players that played this match and there were a number of players who had really good games Donnarumma starts only his second game for, for PSG and okay maybe if you're having a goalkeeper being man of the match as who scored tells me Donnarumma was that's maybe not a great reflection of the way the team played but nonetheless goalkeeper's there to make saves and and, and he did that and that, and he's one of the best goalkeepers in the game Hakimi you mentioned him thought he had an excellent game Verratti who came in for praise from Guardiola I think Guardiola said he's in love with Marco Verratti yeah um, Aww. Never one to go over the top, Pep Guardiola, but he had a very good game. I The player that stood out to me, other than, you know, that guy who scored the landmark goal in the second half, the second the second goal that we all ended up talking about, the guy that, that stood out for me was actually the person who scored the first goal for PSG, and not, be, not because he scored that brilliant opener, and it was a brilliant goal, but the true importance of his performance was in a number of the other things that he did. I'm obviously talking about Adri Gay. He was the one who frequently stepped out from the back Back to make an interception of possession when City had the ball. When he won the ball, he would frequently carry PSG 20 yards up the pitch, sometimes even more, and he relieved a lot of pressure. And it felt it feels like to me he's going to be really important to this PSG team. We've spoken a lot about their balance as a side. Obviously, there's a risk with Messi, eh, Neymar, Mbappe, and then Di Maria in there as well. There's a risk that this team is very top-heavy. And it feels to me like Adrisagana Gay is 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 going to be one of the players who can stop that from being the case. And PSG as as a whole are quite a passive side. Messi does a lot of standing around now with his hands on hips, and obviously he gets away with it because he delivers moments like he did in this game. But Gay is the one who's he's the mo- he's the proactive one in this team, and he kind of he, he kind of balances things a little bit. So he he was one that caught the eye for me. 
I love that point, Graham. I think players like Gunnagay and Under Herrera, who started as the two eights in this game, they're going to be so important to this team. We're going to talk. Well, I mean, maybe we'll end up splitting it more 50 50 because it seems like that's what we've done so far. But in, in the grand scheme of things, it feels like we'll all talk more about that front three, right? Because that's the fun part. But in order to have those front three players be able to be on the field together, you need the workers behind them. And Gay and Andre Herrera were brought in to do that job in this game. And I kind of shudder to think what would have happened if they weren't out there, right? If you put in two players who are maybe slightly more offensive-minded, a little bit less willing to do some of that dirty work and, and to cover ground defensively, those gaps and wide areas for PSG defensively would have been so much bigger. And so City still found a bunch of those gaps and played into them and created chances from them. But man, I mean, I don't know what this would have looked like for PSG without players like Gay and, and Herrera. They're going to be so incredibly important to them this season. Yeah, to, to me, for me, that was that was what swung it for PSG. That middle three they had there. Verratti was just—I I agree with uh, Guardiola's over-the-top praise there. Just completely marshalling and controlling midfield, and just uh, bashing through any press that came near him. He was—he could just get out of any sort of space as well he's very very impressive player Herrera with his you know we know what his poop housery is and what he does and and the stuff that Gay was uh, Graham was describing with Gay as well that 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 was really good that that middle three but Joe how about the front three um Neymar Mbappe and Messi what Messi what did you think of that in this game I I was impressed for the Messi goal which was a lovely Messi-esque finish where it was it was very much if Messi passes you the ball you pass it back to him that's what you do and then you get a goal they've kind of learned that rule but there was Mbappe instinctively making that decoy run to help him out for that goal as well to create the space to draw the defender out as well. It was it seems like they are on the same frequency. We're going to see a lot more of those moments from PSG throughout this competition and in league. Uh it is a beautiful goal from Messi in the 74th minute. PSG get out on the counter. Marco Verratti plays it over just a simple pass over to Messi on the right who's just waiting for the ball. He's not back defending. He's just waiting to get for, for his team to get possession and find him. And that's what happens. So Messi gets on the ball. He drives inside, plays it to Mbappe, as you say, Ryan, who touches it right back to him. And then Messi hits this Messi left-footed shot first time from outside the box. It's a beautiful goal, right? It is phenomenal. And we're going to see more and more of those moments as Messi continues to integrate into this team. I don't, I don't really think the front three was all that good. In this game, I think City did a really nice job of keeping them pinned in at times. It's not like they were totally helpless out there. Mbappe had some nice runs in behind. He had some good touches as well. Neymar was causing some problems on the left. This just wasn't anywhere close to what I think the peak for that front three can be. The fact that they still get the result, even while not operating at peak efficiency, I think is is huge for them. I do have worries about how Poch is going to balance the attacking line with the midfield and defense, even with the fact that that Graham was mentioning Adrissa Ganagay and Andrew Herrera, and, and I you know, spoke to their importance as well. Even with players like that, I still don't know that they can do the job of, of three more players in addition to their own job. So I do have some concerns for PSG in terms of their ability to sustain results like this, but there will be a lot of games where Messi is winning you matches or where Mbappe is winning new matches or Neymar is doing the same thing and we certainly saw that against City they might even win Ligue 1 this season Joe <gasps> like that. nah 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 not gonna happen <laughs> Lille all the way repeat baby yeah uh, so Group A is shaping up with PSG at the top, uh, Bruges in second, Man City in third, Graham, with Leipzig uh, trailing behind them with zero points at this point. Are we worried at all about, uh, we we presume it will be PSG and City going through uh, City's next games. They've got a couple of games against uh, Bruges, then PSG at home, and then they're finishing off with Leipzig. They're probably still going to go through to the knockouts, right, Graham? 
City? Are we talking talk about City? City, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they've got anything to worry about. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they win the, the home game against PSG and the two teams kind of finish on, on uh, level points. I guess City have already kind of got two points on PSG, given that they won their opening game and PSG dropped points. But no, I'm, I'm not worried about City at all. I think the the battle in this group is for that Europa, play, uh, Europa League place, the third place between uh, Club Brugge and RB Leipzig. It is indeed, and that will shake on as we go through this group stage. More on the Champions League after these very important messages. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, we have returned. We're talking Champions League. We're looking at Group B, where Liverpool got a 5-1 win at Porto. That puts them top of Group B with six points. But the game we're going to focus on in this group, gents, Milan 1, AC Milan 1, Atletico Madrid 2. Milan's first Champions League game at the San Siro in seven years. The last few minutes didn't go so well for them, Graham, I think. Uh, a pretty crazy game this one turned out to be. Luis Suarez with a 97th minute winner from the penalty spot. Uh, you'll recall, Graham, a 99th minute winner at Espanyol Atleti got a few weeks back. And Suarez himself got a 90th minute winner against Hatefe, was it two weeks ago? They do like a late win. And that's more than just a quirk, isn't it? Because if you look at the, the Manchester United teams under Fergie, and even the Manchester United team of Wednesday evening... There is an art to late wins, and there is it, it, there is a certain fortitude it takes to do that, isn't there? Oh yeah, absolutely. And Atleti do it better, I think, than anyone else in European football, even even more so than Manchester United than Solskjaer's Man United. As as you reference there, how many times have we seen this sort of performance from Atletico Madrid? Just already this season, we're only in September, and I feel like I've seen this exact game about five times from them and, and a lot a lot of the time you would say it's down to luck and good fortune but they do it so often that it has to be down to, to more than that and for me the, and talking about this specific game this is going to be a slightly strange analysis from me because I feel like I'm probably going to have to have uh, more positive things to say about the team that actually lost the game. Uh, I saw Matteo Bonetti on Twitter saying that the first 45 minutes of this match was one of the best AC Milan performances he'd seen in a decade, which tells you how well they played large periods of this match. And indeed, they started out well on top. Not not only were they kind of finding space in behind Atleti, Ante Rebic had a, an excellent one-on-one opportunity that he puts the ball past the post, but they were, they were doing a good job of putting their foot on the ball in dangerous positions, keeping the ball high up the field. And that's where the the first goal comes from. Brian Diaz is, is in the box. He kind of holds off the attention from the defender, draws the defender over, waits for the right moment to set up Rafael Leao, who finishes into the into the bottom corner. And I thought Brahim Diaz was possibly the best player on the pitch in that first half. He's he's actually been excellent early on this season. Um, remember his performance against Liverpool and at Anfield was was also really good. And then, of course, the the big turning point in this match is the the red card for the the two yellow card offences for uh, Frank Kessie. 
Uh, I say it's the turning point for a spell after that ma- after that moment. AC Milan still feel like they're they're in control of things, but they got deeper and deeper and deeper until Atleti do what Atleti do and just ground them down and got a little bit of a, a little bit more good fortune in terms of the penalty call as well as the red card call. But as I say, I'm not sure if we can call it good fortune good fortune because they do it so often. Indeed, but we have to feel sorry for Milanjo, don't we? As I said, this is the first uh, Champions League home game in quite a while. Uh, and in the first leg of this, uh, first match day of this competition, I should say, they lose despite scoring twice at Anfield. In this game, uh, they lose to a late controversial goal. Um, they get a pretty controversial red card in this game as well. And as Graham and Matteo Benetti said there, they were really quite good, particularly in the first, I'd say, hour of this game. Yeah, they. I, I feel much more sorry for Milan after this game than I do after the Liverpool game because they did score a couple of nice goals at Anfield, but Liverpool played them off the pitch for at least stretches of that opening Champions League group stage game for this group. This game is a totally different story, and Graham, I agree with literally every word that you said. They were much more impressive. Milan was much more impressive in this one than in that opening game. Even when they go down to 10 men, they still were able to control the game at times and then Atleti do grind them down. So I don't... Honestly, I, I think that narrative is spot on. Milan had some success high pressing early on, which is what Liverpool did to them. And Milan will high press. It's not like they just looked at Liverpool's game plan and copied that. They, they do that stuff too under Pioli. And it was working. They kept Atletico Madrid pinned in, at least for stretches of this game. They controlled much of the possession for the first 30, 35 minutes. I, I too enjoyed watching Brahim Diaz play. He is so, so good at finding little pockets of space, moving in between the lines, getting on the ball, and then can play a lovely weighted through ball, which is something he does in the 19th minute of this game. He has another great forward pass in the 24th minute. It's a shame that he comes off in the second half in the 57th minute. Looked, looked like he, he got a little bit of a knock there. Diaz is not totally clean when he receives the ball, at least not that I've seen him be that clean when he receives the ball. But if he can clean that little tiny part of his game up and shorten those touches and take a few fewer touches from time to time, he's going to continue to grow into an even better player. So I I liked a lot of what we saw from Milan. The, the red card was a little bit unfortunate, that second yellow, and it did help change the game for Atletico Madrid. A couple of changes at halftime and, and one sub in the first half as well from Diego Simeone uh, moved towards that goal for Atleti too. But man, this was a fun game and AC Milan should feel slightly hard done here. Joe, how many seasons until uh, Man City buy Brahim Diaz back? It feels like it's one of those situations. You know how Phil Foden made the decision to stay with City? Jadon Sancho didn't. Is it, is it another one of those situations where he he felt a bit too much competition at City and he's going to be a real top, top player and he's going to be bought back by a Premier League team for $100 million in a year or two? It would not surprise me. He's 22, so he's a little bit older then I think he's a little bit older than Sancho at this point. I could have my, my ages wrong here. But 22, he still has time to improve. But I would not be surprised at all, Ryan, to see that exact situation play out. Whether City would buy him or not, I don't know. But like you're saying, some sort of high-level Premier League team could be after a number 10 or a guy who can drift inside from wide areas. He's just so good at finding those little spaces and advancing attacks off the ball than getting on the ball and advancing them again. He is... He's phenomenal. And he was really good against Liverpool as well. So that's two performances that we've seen from him in the Champions League that have been good. And and we've been watching a bit of Serie A and talking about that on weekend reviews. I've been impressed every time I've watched Brahim Diaz this season. I, th- 
I think if there's a club that feels a bit of regret over Diaz, it might be Real Madrid, because obviously he's still on, on loan from, from Real Madrid at the moment. And obviously Real Madrid also allowed Teo Hernandez to go to AC Milan. And Akraf Hakimi is now the best right back in Europe and they let him leave. So there's a trend of Real Madrid. They, they tend to keep the wrong players and then, uh, and, and then, or sorry, yeah, they keep the wrong players and, and, and get rid of players that they should probably uh, keep so yeah I, I I don't know if uh, Real Madrid have any plans for him to, to come back to the club I think he's 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 spent one season on loan and now he's on an, a further two season loan I think at AC Milan so it feels like that move probably will be made permanent going back to Atleti Graham what did you make of them in this game I mean they they for large parts maybe weren't actually that good uh, I did enjoy seeing Anton Griezmann um, back in a non-Barcelona yeah. shirt doing Griezmann things though yeah, that, that was one of my, my takeaways as well. It was good to see him make a, an impact with a really well-taken equaliser. I, j- I just get the sense that he wouldn't have scored that goal for Barcelona. He wouldn't have been in that position. He obviously was kind of forced out wide, a little bit wider as, as a Barcelona player. He has a bit more freedom to act uh, more centrally for, for Atleti. And I think people have forgotten just how good Griezmann was not so long ago. There was a spell not so long ago when people had him down as the third or fourth, third or fourth best player in the world. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. That's, that's how good he was. And so it'd be fun if he could get somewhere close to that level again. And beyond Griezmann, though, I'm, I'm not sure how many, how many more observations I have about Atleti because, uh, yeah, for a large spells of this game, they, they, they were, second best I mean obviously it's it's good for them that they were able to to keep things tight at the back when they could have conceded a second when that could have been game over but beyond that maybe Condogbia was one in the centre pitch I thought he had a good game in, in the second half once AC Milan started to, to, to drop a little bit deeper Suarez obviously his energy and, and that kind of restless quality where he's he's always trying to make something happen is important to to Atleti getting uh, three points here but yeah it's as I said right at the top of this segment strange one because I feel like I've got much more positive things to say about AC Milan who obviously end up losing this match yeah as as we said about the first game, sometimes that's the way the cookie crumbles in this sport. Um, but even in the last ten minutes, Graham, when when the equaliser, Griezmann's equaliser went in, it felt like AC Milan could still very much win it. It was Florenzi had a couple of decent chances to win it um, at that point. So they are very very unlucky in this game. Uh, before we leave it, any thoughts on the penalty decision, the the sort of game of oh. hand tennis between Lamar and Kalulu that went on there? Um, that was a that was a nonsense that yeah. that penalty decision. I, I I do the first there was a lot of talk about the red cards and even though I think it's soft, you have seen those before and I can understand why the referee has seen the the second was as a foul. He kind of trods on the on the athletic player's foot, so eh, borderline for me. But okay, the the penalty decision. As you have referenced there, uh, is it Thomas Lamar kind of pushes? Yeah, yeah, it does hit Kalulu's arm, but after Thomas Lamar has pushed it with his arm. So it strikes Lamar's arm first before it then goes on to Kalulu. So I I just don't understand how after the VAR check that wasn't overturned. I don't get that at all. Yeah. Two handballs don't make a right. That's what I always say. Um, so yeah, certainly not for AC Milan. <laughs> certainly not for AC Milan, uh, who find themselves. Uh, uh, where are they in the group? They are bottom top. They are bottom. Yeah, they're not doing too well in this one. <laughs> the other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, we're gonna come back with more Champions League after this short break, including the shocker at the Bernabeu. 
This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and they, all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking Champions League. Over there in Group C, Ajax are top in Group C after their 2-0 win over Besiktas. Elsewhere in that group, Borussia Dortmund, the second. They got maximum points with a 1-0 win at Sporting Lisbon. Daniel Mullen's first goal for the club, I believe. Uh, quite interesting events in Group D as well. Inter Milan got their first point away, um, their first point in this competition, away at Shakhtar Donetsk. Top of the group, Joseph Lowry, as we all predicted, Sheriff <laughs> Tiraspol, the Moldovans at the top. The reason we don't need a Super League. Real Madrid 1, Sheriff Tiraspol 2, David beating Goliath. This feels like the greatest Champions League upset, certainly that I can think of. There's been some games uh, in the past, you know, Barca, Ruben Kazan, I think we mentioned that earlier in the week in 2009. Celtic, Barcelona in 2012, the 2-1 to Celtic game. Bate Borisov when they beat Bayern Munich in 2012. These are all big shocks, but Sheriff are a much smaller team than those teams as well. They're a smaller team than Apoel. They're a smaller team than Legia Warsaw or Astana or these other groups who've maybe got some shock group stage win at this point. This is absolutely huge. This is the most popular, the most successful team in this competition's history against a team from Europe's poorest nation. They were they played eight qualifying games to get to this tournament. Their first game in this competition was on July 7th. Madness, absolute madness. By the way, Graham, if we're going to look at shirts, um, uh, Tiras Ball don't have any sponsors on their shirts and you can't even buy their kit outside of the stadium club shop, the stadium which holds a maximum of 12,000 people. Uh, so you won't be getting your hands on that one unless you've got any Moldovan friends, Graham. Um, <laughs> they, they are guaranteed $19 million in prize money here. Uh, they beat Red Star and Dynamo Zagreb to get here as well. The team, I didn't realise, only started in 1997 
Dragon. They are run by a former KGB agent. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of fun facts about this team, not least, Graham, that they beat Real Madrid in their backyard. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned there the, the, key, the KGB thing, which is obviously super interesting and obviously there are uh, that makes them dubious in a sense but I also secretly kind of love that like it makes them just even crazier as a club that they've been founded by KJB agents you couldn't really make that up but also there was a good piece in the New York Times by uh, Rory Smith about how you're mentioning there they don't have a sponsor and they don't sell their uh, their shirt outside the club stadium that might be because the whole sheriff um, thing is, is, is a brand in Moldova they own supermarkets and pet stations and it's a, a pretty dominant brand uh where you know in in, the, in their homeland so i just find that interesting like the the the, lo- the the badge of the club is the logo of the the supermarket and 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 the gas station brand which i'm surprised uefa allows that to be honest i thought that sort of thing was was uh restricted on on that sort of thing but yeah, just a really, really weird club and a really, really great story. You can have Bayer Leverkusen and RB Leipzig. You could probably have another brand from Moldova uh, in your team, to be fair, Graham. One That's other fair. wild thing is Tiraspol, they play in the Moldovan league. They're not actually, they don't consider themselves part of Moldova, I would yeah. uh, It's It's the capital of Transnistria, which is a pro-Russian breakaway state with its own currency, flag and government. The sheriff story gets wilder and wilder the more you look into it. <laughs> But most wild, obviously, Graham, is what they did on the field here. Um, 24 shots from Real Madrid to uh, Sheriff's four, uh, and they lost 2-1. Uh, what went wrong with Real Madrid here? Karen Benzema had quite a few chances. We had a Luka Modric smashing the ball into the goalkeeper's face at one point, but still no <laughs> dice. Yeah, this this felt like a lot of the problems that Real Madrid had last season, where they were just totally and utterly dependent on Karim Benzema for goals. And obviously, the start of this season, Real Madrid have looked really strong. They've looked a lot better than a lot of people were expecting. They've been scoring for fun. Vinicius Junior has has been incredible. Marco Marco Asensio has 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 um, scored goals. Eden Hazard has has been contributing. Eduardo Camavinga has had a really good start, and so it just all it just all kind of ground to halt in this match. And I should say that it, it, actually, it may be ground to a halt a little bit sooner than that because obviously Real Madrid drew 0-0 at home to Villarreal at the weekend as well in La Liga. So it, there, there were kind of warning signs for Real Madrid that maybe things weren't going so well for them. But yeah, I don't, I don't know what you can put this one down to. Thir- 31 shots in total and Benzema is the only person who scores from a penalty. It's not even from a, yeah. a, a goal in open play. So yeah, just one, just one of those, those nights and uh, the goal that Sheriff scored to win this in, oh, in the 89th minute. Fabulous. Sebastian Teal or Thill? I'm sorry. I'm, I've never really heard of that player before. I think I can be excused for that given, <laughs> uh, given Sheriff's uh, background. Um, his 89th minute winner is just incredible the camera's right behind it he just drives it into the into the top corner and he's a player who has a tattoo on his leg of him dreaming of the Champions League and this is a guy who's now scored an 89th minute winner against Real Madrid at the Bernabeu I mean he he couldn't have dreamt that that's why it's not on his tattoo because if, if he'd asked for that at the tattoo artist they would have told you no don't be stupid that's never happening <laughs> it beats the Leroy Sané celebrating on his own back tattoo I think the, uh, the team <laughs> <laughs> tattoo of himself thinking of the Champions League trophy. Uh, it's quite similar to the one on my calf. I've got um, myself looking up at the thought bubble of the TSS logo and how one day I would be a, a, a fine podcaster <laughs> on this network. So um, manifest See, destiny yeah. in both cases, I think. 
Yeah. Did you not? I thought we were all meant to get that on our face. I got mine on my face. Ooh. <laughs> we need to talk about that. <laughs> face or calf, you can choose. But uh, yeah, uh, Joe, any thoughts on this game? It's, I mean, pretty, pretty darn surprising. Surely no one saw this coming, but I suppose the question is how far can Sheriff go in this competition now? They are top of Group D with six points. They're in pretty good shape, and we're looking at maybe Inter Milan being in trouble here. Man, who knows, Ryan? This is this is insane, right? It is absolutely insane. We've talked about Sheriff now. I think this is the third time or maybe the fourth time on this podcast that we've ever said the name Sheriff Tiraspol, at least. Maybe maybe Taylor and Daryl had done that years and years and years ago. But, I mean, this ride is downright bonkers, right? The fact that they've won these first two games. The Shakhtar win, already wild in and of itself. Huge upset. This is on a whole nother level. The fact that they were able to pull this off in the, in the fashion that they did it as well. It's, it's wild. Then you add to that the story behind the club, which we've only barely scratched the surface of. There's a great thread on Twitter from Slava Malamud. I don't know exactly how to pronounce the name, but someone who has uh, spent a lot of time and I believe grew up in Moldova and near this this phantom region of this breakaway region of Russia. And there's this <laughs> thread. And region. I just wanted to read this one tweet and encourage everyone to go read the rest of the thread. But the this this tweet from Slava says, never let anyone tell you not to dream big kids. There's nothing, nothing that positivity, hard work, a secret nation building KGB plot and an international gun trafficking <laughs> ring can't accomplish. Right. And I mean, that, that first of all, that's just beautiful. Right. That really touches my yeah. heart. Um, um, but as far as how far this team can go, I don't know, Ryan, because I never thought they'd get this far in a million years. I would have bet so much money, and this is why I'm glad I did not. I would have bet so much money against Sheriff winning these first two games if the odds had been good enough. And yet here they are on top of Group D. This is wild. And I've never seen anything quite like this before in the Champions League. And it is, it's, it, I don't, I'm out of words, Ryan. Yeah. Three weeks' time, Graham. They've got a trip to the San Siro to face Inter Milan, who have got one point in this competition. They could, <laughs> they could put them out of this contest in that game. <laughs> wow. I mean, wow. If, if they were to do this, I'm, I'm trying to think this over. Obviously, it's a six-game group, so maybe not the longevity of Leicester City's Premier League title win, but... I feel like it would it would be on that sort of scale. It might even surpass that. I mean, at least Leicester City, you know, they're they're a Premier League club. They're in this they're in the same realm as the as as the other teams that they they beat. They they have money. You know, they had a millionaire owner. Sheriff, you know, they're they're in a completely different world to Real Madrid, Inter Milan, even Shakhtar Donetsk. So it would it would be one of the, if not the biggest European soccer upset if they were to get out of this group. Yeah. So we have a, a club in Moldova, or maybe not in Moldova, with an extra $20 million in their pocket, run by a former KGB agent. I see nothing going wrong with this scenario <laughs> whatsoever. So uh, well done to Sheriff Tiraspol. And uh, that's uh, that's how Group D is shaping up. In Group E, meanwhile, Bayern Munich, Joe, got a 5-0 win over Daniel Kiev in match day two. They're quite good, aren't they? I think we can assume that, yeah? Oh, my word. Yeah, I mean, they're right up there with other favorites for this competition. They're stupid good. I... I, they're so they're so good, Ryan. Five goals. They can score five goals against any of the teams in this group, and I would not be surprised, right? They beat Barca 3-0 on match day one. They beat Dynamo Kiev 5-0, as you're saying. It's it's bonkers, and I don't see them slowing down. Yeah. Maybe, Graham, Benfica, the sleepers in this contest, perhaps. They're in second place in this group with four points, um, getting a draw against uh, Kiev in their first game. And a 3-0 win, as we mentioned at the top of the show, over Barcelona. Barcelona with a a six, a nil-six aggregate um, scoreline in this group (laughs) so far. 
Uh, that once again, I don't think it. We, we knew Barcelona might struggle this season, but I don't think we saw that coming in this group as well. That that would be an absolute disaster if they didn't get out of the group, wouldn't it? Yeah, as as good as Bayern Munich have been in this group, that's how bad Barcelona have been in this group. And and this game was. I think we all maybe assumed that it couldn't get any worse for them after they lost 3-0 at home to Bayern, uh, uh, to Bayern Munich in, in match they won. This this for me was a lot worse because obviously Benfica, yes, it's away from home, but Benfica don't have the quality of Bayern Munich. And I didn't see any difference in the manner of the defeat. They were completely dominated by Benfica. A total shambles at the back. Benfica could have scored more than three. And Ronald Koeman, just, it just seems to be getting worse for him every, every single game. I mean, he tries to change things up in the second half. They make He makes three changes, which involves a, a, a three-player uh, switch-up off the bench. And as soon as he does that, Benfica score the second goal, and he's left completely paralysed by not really having any other uh, any other options to change up the match, and it just left them without uh, without another plan to go to, and uh, yeah, just a complete disaster for Barcelona. It really, really feels like. To be honest, it wouldn't surprise me if if Coleman is is gone by next week. It really does feel like this is the the end game for him. It feels like as soon as Barcelona can find a suitable replacement, Roberto Mart- uh, Martinez has been mentioned. Uh, Jordi Cruyff has been mentioned as someone to take it take it to the end of the season. I'm not sure how <laughs> how wise that would be, given that nostalgia wasn't exactly a, a good motivating factor in the appointment of Coleman who is actually a, a football manager and Jordi Cruyff isn't really a football manager I'm not sure if that's a, 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 would be a solid appointment and then obviously the, the one that everyone's been waiting for for years is Xavi Hernandez but there's doubts over whether he would take it mid-season whether he would wait until things are slightly kind of rosier in terms of the, the squad and the options that he has. So, yeah, I think there's a sense in the Catalan press that as soon as Barcelona have a, an alternative option, then Coleman might be out of that job. Well, Grant, maybe Barcelona will have some respite in the league um, this weekend. Checks who they're playing. Oh, they're at Atletico Madrid. That'll be fun for them. <laughs> yeah, fun's, fun's not the word I would use there, right? <laughs> I think I mentioned at the top of the show where um, Thierry Henry on CBS was kind of almost outright asked if he was interested in the job at Barcelona. And the point he kind of diplomatically made was uh, it's a really difficult job for any manager coming in because there's so many problems and you know what does it fix having a new manager at this point, which is kind of a valid point and almost a bit defeatist in some ways, but it does show you how much of a rot there is at that club at the moment. So there's a, there's a new manager, whoever it may be, Graham is going to have a pretty tough time there you would imagine um group f let's move on to talk a bit about group f atalanta in the early kickoff on wednesday beat young boys one nil uh and then later on in the evening as we mentioned manchester united two villa real won a replay of the last europa league final um yeah this group uh, manchester united in third place joe um At- atalanta top of the group Villarreal. Yeah, not at one point. It's, it seems like there's not. It doesn't feel balanced that, given how well the Real played in this game, and they got a two-two draw in the first game as well. It, it doesn't feel fair. I like I like your analysis there, Ryan. It feels like you're encapsulating your thoughts as um yeah, and that's that's kind of where we're at, right? This Manchester United team is not particularly inspiring. They have individuals to win games, and that's what ended up happening. Real should feel hard done because they they put together a lot of promising attacking sequences in this game. They 
they were the better team for stretches. And even though they didn't dominate possession, they still ended up putting their, you know, stamping their mark on this game. It is a tough one. Soccer, the soccer ball does not always bounce evenly, shall we say, Ryan Bailey. Ah, uh, that's right. I think Shakira sung that in a song about her hips not lying in the <laughs> soccer ball, not bouncing evenly. Yep. Wise words. Sage advice, Joe. Um, hey, Shakira's G. words, not mine. Shakira's words, not mine. Right? <laughs> Indeed, yeah, indeed. Group G, uh, the least glamorous group in the contest, with all due respect to participants in that one. Uh, Red Bull Salzburg 2, Lille 1 on match day two. And Wolfsburg, um, not not quite back to winning ways. They had a very good start to their domestic season. They got a 1-1 draw with Sevilla. Brendan Aronson, Salzburg, topping the group. And... um, uh, Mr. Bearholter, Joe, when he was interviewed on CBS, I've referred a lot to CBS co- coverage today, but uh, it, it, it was pretty good, I think, over this match day, as it usually is. Um, he mentioned how he watched; um, he was watching this game uh, over all the others. Um, so he doesn't. Uh, Bearholter doesn't dramatize. Pl- he was watching Salzburg Lille. Well, than- I mean, there's there's two U.S. men's national team players playing in this game, yeah, so I'm almost, almost certain that's why. I don't think Bearholter would would lie and tell you that this was the best game from a pure quality standpoint. But this group has—he's just a hipster. Don't <laughs> give him excuses. He's just a hipster. You're so right, Graham. That's why. That's all it is. He's he's digging into the tactics from these games. Yeah, I mean, th- this group is kind of fun from a USMNT perspective. You've got Tim Weah for Lille, who played about 60 minutes in this game. I believe his first ever Champions League appearance. You've got Brendan Aronson and Salzburg who are doing quite well. Then you have Wolfsburg who are in the Champions League, and John Brooks did not play for them uh, against Sevilla. But yeah, not not the best group from a neutral standpoint, but some interesting talking points if you're a U.S. soccer fan. I feel I feel like this is a Europa League group that somehow ended up in the Champions League. <laughs> Has that vibe, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, I yeah. mean, there's I find it quite interesting given that any team could fit, could finish top or bottom. But yeah, it, it's lacking the X factor. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, well, maybe there's a bit, bit more X factor in Group H. Uh, in an early kickoff, we saw Zenit get a four 0 win over Malmo. But the uh, the other game in this group, Juventus against Chelsea, the old lady against New Money, um, a really hard fought victory here. A one a, 0 a win for Juventus. This was Graham, uh, pr- pretty hard fought and. Um, a lot of players missing. Uh, Dybala, Murata, Artur yep. was missing here, but also Lee Chelsea had a lot missing too. Mason Mount, uh, Pulisic wasn't there, Reese James, and no Ungale Kante, perhaps most critically. Um, but but a, a win that Juventus needed and one that Chelsea didn't need, which sounds very glib, but um, it's true. Yeah, I thought I thought uh, Juventus needed this win more than... I know Chelsea lost at the weekend, but it still feels like Allegri is having to win hearts and minds and, and Tuchel doesn't really have that problem obviously having won the Champions League last season at, at, at Chelsea so it was really a case of which team would deal better with the absences for me Morata has been one of the few players who's actually started this season really well for Juventus so I thought he was a big miss they don't really have I mean I know Moise Kane comes on in, 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 in this game but he's on the bench here and he's not a perfect he's not a light for light replacement for Morata so Bernadeschi starts to their middle and, and they it felt like a little bit of a makeshift formation from Juventus, but they do have my boy Federico Chiesa 
um, who obviously scores the the winner in this game 10 seconds into the, the second half. A fantastic finish at the near post. And I think we saw we, we saw the best and the worst of Keza in this game, obviously in terms of the incision that he brings. No one else was really doing that in the Juventus team. But then also sometimes he, he has a tendency to get his head down, not really see the options around him. And it felt like there were times when he takes on a shot or doesn't see an option when a, a pasta teammate might have been the 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 better way to go but um yeah i think a very good uh, result certainly for juventus for chelsea the while I say that I don't think this isn't a disaster for for Tuchel and Chelsea despite the fact that it's two back-to-back defeats however it, it still feels like to me they've got much more to give and as an attacking side certainly um I know you can't really argue with the results that Tuchel's had as, as Chelsea manager but there's a lot of attacking talent in that team that they're not really getting the best out of and I think that's certainly a question that in the last few weeks they haven't really given Romelu Lukaku the service that, that he needs. He's still managed to score goals, but only really because of his individual brilliance. And I think there's a question of how this team plays without Mason Mount. I think they really, really missed him today. Even when Chelsea are playing poorly, when Mount is on the pitch, they have a platform in the opposition half. And I never really felt that they had that in this game against Juventus. I always felt like they were sitting quite deep playing out on the, on the counter attack. So yeah, I think that there are questions for, for Tuchel, but it's, it's certainly not a, a crisis or anything near that. Yeah, Joe, your thoughts on on Chelsea and, and and the current, if we can call it a slump, two losses in a week. But um, maybe against City, you could say it was uh, tactical decisions that may have cost it. Was was it in this instance more the player absences which we've discussed? Is it more that maybe some of the players are letting him down with a bit of poor passing? Not maybe not enough risk taking. I think um, Chalaba had a couple of sort of incisive passes and some take take ons which I thought were good, but not not no one else seemed very courageous in this game if that's fair to say um so what do we attribute this to Joe? I think it's a mix of those things it also has something to do with how Juve approached this game uh Juve kept things very compact for large stretches of this one in the first half they would press and they press up on goal kicks but then they'd also drop back pretty quickly and have 10 guys behind the ball plus the goalkeeper I mean they were in this pretty fluid defensive shape Juve were a lot of times it looked like a 4-4-2 with Chiesa and Bernadeschi up top together so Juve have to be given credit here for how they constricted space and made Chelsea's life really hard but to go back to Graham's point Chelsea haven't been creating a ton of chances and I know that I know Ryan on Monday you asked Graham and I about the best team in the Premier League and Graham and I are both extremely high on Chelsea but they haven't been creating a lot of attacking chances consistently. You can go and look at the XG tables on FB Ref, and, and obviously there needs to be some level of measure when you're looking at those things, because there is a lot of other context that goes into that, and other stats that are useful to define how dangerous a team is when they have the ball. But in terms of their their attacking chances and their shooting opportunities, Chelsea haven't created the same volume or quality that a lot of other top Premier League teams have, or even some non-traditionally top Premier League teams. So there are some some problems here with Chelsea and how they attack and how they create chances that stem back to January of last year, right? This isn't new. Chelsea were very good defensively last year, but they didn't score a lot of goals. And so far this season, they have scored goals, but they haven't had necessarily the underlying production to match those goals. And that should be a little bit of a concern. I think Mason Mount will help. 
with that problem. I think even getting someone like Christian Pulisic back, I think that will help and just adding more options there will help and, and staying maybe more consistently with this 3-4-3 shape instead of that 3-5-2 could do some some nice things too. But I'm not as bothered about the shape necessarily. It depends more what the, the opposition is doing in terms of where the tactical battles lie. But yeah, there are there are some problems here with Chelsea and we saw those problems rear their ugly heads again in this Champions League game. Joe, as much as it it might be blasphemous to talk of Tuchel in this manner, but does he struggle for a plan B when this team goes behind? It was a bit of a shock uh, goal that Chiesa scored uh, a couple of seconds into the second half here. It seemed like when they face a pretty well-organized team as this was, I mean, we had a bit of a shape change, had Chilwell coming on, but was it handled appropriately, I suppose is my question. Well, I just wonder sort of what, like, what would we change? What would you do differently? Because... For me, Juve were already back behind the ball before they scored. They scored, you know, 10 seconds into the second half, and that's exactly what Allegri wants, right? He wants to have an excuse to sit back and continue to do that. And Juve did push forward at times in the second half, right? It's not like they always sat behind the ball. But if I'm Tuchel, I don't, I'm not really sure what else you can do in this moment to, to make those changes. I mean, maybe there's some different substitution patterns that you could look to. I'm sure there are a couple of things, but from a tactical standpoint, Either way, the task is not all that different, right? The task is to break down a team with a lot of numbers behind the ball. And whether that's plan A, plan B, or plan F, I think the job is the same. And I'm not sure that Tuchel really could have done a whole lot else besides abandoning his whole tactical philosophy, which I don't think makes a whole lot of sense. Hmm. Interesting one. This one, yeah, as I say, pretty hard for and, and deserved win for Juventus. Graham, um, I did see a comment online about your boy Chiesa. Um, a quote here. Chiesa is my favorite player to watch at the moment. He runs like he wants to hurt the grass he's running on. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, um, yeah, an impressive stuff for Juve who haven't had the best domestic form thus far this season. But it's uh, shaping up very nicely. Uh, for them in this group, uh, top with maximum points. Gents, I think we have covered match day two of the Champions League. And I will reiterate that I am having a jolly good time watching this contest so far. And I can't wait for it to return in three weeks' time when we'll have plenty of storylines to follow. Uh, Joe Lowry, have you enjoyed it as much as I have? I, I really have. It's been so much fun, guys. And even better is talking with you guys about this stuff. Oh, likewise, Joe Lowry. And Graham, we feel the same way about you, who we love very much and we want nope, to like uh, you. Yeah. Nope, <laughs> nope, nope, Too much raw emotion. Thanks, Ryan Bailey. Speak to you next time. <laughs> you know I have to try and sneak it in occasionally, Graham. Thank you very much, listener. We'll be back soon. Bye! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.